Christchurch, New Malden, 5th of July, 2020. Stephen Kurt speaking on Finding Help Through Worship. Well, it was the 15th of March that we last had a service in the Christchurch building. Now, if you know anything about ancient history, you'll know that that's a famous date because it was on that day, the so-called Ides of March, that the Roman dictator Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC. And if regular worship at Christchurch or anywhere else up to the 15th of March was something that was built into the routine of your life, perhaps you're tempted to regard the Ides of March 2020 as just as fateful. And yet, it's also brought us opportunities, hasn't it? Specifically, the chance to continue worshipping and sort of together, but in a fresh and rather new way through the use of these services. I've commented a number of times on the work that goes into them with John and Pauline Palmer recording the music before it's sent off to Pete Everett to add in his vocals. Meanwhile, I record the liturgical and introductory bits with my family in the Christchurch office, while those doing the readings, the sermon and the prayers each week record theirs. Each of these various bits are then sent to Nathan and Anna Larkin, who use their uh, respective skills to edit it all together and to produce the visuals before the two versions are produced. An audio one that I burn onto CD for those of you who aren't online and the version that the rest of you receive. And different people access these services in different ways. So in my family, we put it on our TV and we join in it together on a Sunday morning. Others of you use it in the car or on the train. Some of you when you're out running and some of you have said that you tend to listen to it in your garden. And if like me, you've been going to church for years, then perhaps like me, you found this very different approach to worship quite helpful. Yes, we miss our normal services and yes, we're keen for them to return. But it's nonetheless been a blessing learning to worship God in a different way. But what I'm actually most pleased about in the impact of these services is the impact that they've had upon those less used to regular worship in church. There are a number of you out there for whom the provision of these services has made you into regular participants in a church service for the very first time in your life. This is our 18th online service and some of you have taken part in every single one of them, which is fantastic. And it's with you in mind that we're starting a series of talks this morning, looking at different aspects of church, asking what they're there for and how we can get the most out of them. And today we're thinking about finding help through worship. And if we want to understand Christian worship, then the best place to start is with the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, and its fourth and fifth chapters. Because it's in those chapters that were read to us earlier that we're allowed to be a fly on the wall as its writer describes the worship of God that's currently taking place in heaven. And it's a sight that's so extraordinary that John, who wrote Revelation, can only describe it in picture language. Thunder and lightning reveal God's throne room as a place of awesome glory. 
and around his throne there are representatives of both the animal kingdom and humanity, praising God and his holiness with all their might. And already we see the logic of worship, which means acknowledging the worth of something far superior to ourselves. Part of the focus of this worship of God is because he is the creator of all things, the one from whom all life comes. You are worthy, our Lord and God, the 24 elders declare, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But it's not just worship of God as creator. Because the creation went wrong, it needed to be rescued by God, and so an equally important aspect of the worship of God in the heavenly throne room is that for God as Saviour. That's in chapter 5 of Revelation, and once again it's conveyed by some rather strange imagery. John notices that the figure on the throne is holding a scroll, which contains God's future purposes for the world. The problem is, though, that no one can be found to open the scroll. God has committed himself to working through the people that he's made in his image, but now it looks as though none of them are worthy to do this, and his plan is ruined. But then we suddenly see the appearance of a lion, who on becoming a lamb is then able to open the scroll. Revelation at this point is very mysterious, and it's rather like a kaleidoscope that keeps constantly changing its images. But here it's revealing how Jesus became Israel's rescuer, the Lion of Judah, by also becoming the sacrificial lamb that removed her sin. And so what we get in this vision of the heavenly throne room in Revelation 4 and 5 is this full-on acknowledgement of God as creator and as rescuer. And this is basically what Christian worship is all about. It's a shout of praise that acknowledges that life comes from God alone and that new life comes only through Jesus' death on the cross. This is the worship, Revelation says, that's being ceaselessly offered to God in heaven and it's the worship that we're called to join in with as part of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. But why does God require such worship from us. Doesn't it make him sound a bit like a dictator, demanding that crowds turn up to cheer him on his birthday? The very thing, incidentally, that people feared from Caesar and what made them kill him on those Ides of March. Well, the reason it's not like that is because the worship that God wants from us is relational. It's part of building and sustaining that relationship of mutual love that God wants to have with us, and through that worship transforming us into the people that he made us to be. You see, a key principle of spirituality is that we eventually become like the things we worship. So if we worship, for instance, money and the acquisition of it, we eventually become like a subhuman money machine. If we worship power, we become more and more ruthless and again deeply ugly in our subhumanness. If we worship our image, we become more and more self-absorbed and 
less and less able to form proper relationships. That's why there's so much in the Bible about the danger of idolatry. Worship anything that is created and therefore transitory or passing, and we start losing that life that can only come from the one creator God. But by the same token, it's because we're made in God's image that the more that we worship God, the more that we become fully human by continuing to receive that life that comes from him alone. Worship the creator God and we continue growing further through God's creative dynamic power into the people that he made us to be. And that's why we get passages in the Bible warning us that unless our worship of him is transforming, God doesn't want it. It was through the prophet Amos that God said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. God isn't saying here that he doesn't want sung worship or offerings made to him in church. He's saying that he doesn't want those things if they don't result in our transformation, particularly in regard to how we treat others. And that's because true worship is the offering up of the whole of our lives to God. It's making daily decisions that express our love for God, most obviously through the way in which we treat and care for others. The whole point of our worship in church, in the services that we attend or take part in like this one, is to so centre our lives upon God that those lives become a continual act of worship to him. So how can we get the most out of worship during these strange times of coronavirus when everything's a bit different, but also beyond that point when things become a bit more normal again? Well, here are a few suggestions about how we might find further help through worship. First, let's look out for references in our worship to God as creator and the sole giver of life. In our worship, we fairly obviously use hymns and songs, but there are also spoken words, what's known as liturgy, which we use, for instance, to praise God at the start of this service. There's also the readings, the talk and the prayers. And as we say, sing or hear these things, let's be thanking God for all of the different and wonderful aspects of life that come from him alone. In a busy world, it's very easy not to stop and be still and know that he is God. But when we do stop and when we are still for worship, it helps us to know deep within us that God is the source of everything good that we have. And it's then that our heartfelt thanksgiving to God is something that always starts to make us use those things that he's given us better as a result. Second, let's be looking out for references to God being our rescuer in Jesus Christ. Plenty of our songs reflect this with words that speak of the blessings that God has given us through Jesus. That's also part of the confession 
and the assurance of forgiveness that we have in every service. And of course it's at the heart of the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, which are part of our services in more normal times. But our Bible readings are part of our worship too. And as we listen to a section each week of the great story of God's rescue of the world, let's remember that this is part of the great story that reached its climax in Jesus. And let's be praising the God who involved himself in the mess of human history to come and rescue us. Third, let's look for the words that express our love back to God. Everyone's different, and that means that some of the ways that this is expressed might be more to our taste than others. Some people love worship songs that allow them to express their emotions back to God in a full-on way, while others are less comfortable with this. Some of us are really helped by liturgy, and others less so. But worship isn't something that we do individually, but as a people. And part of this, therefore, is learning to bear with what others find helpful and being open to learning from this ourselves. But however we do it, worship is always about allowing God's Spirit to reflect God's love back to him. And that's why, rather than our worship remaining at a cerebral or thought-based level, we need to be allowing our emotions to be engaged in that relationship of mutual and transforming love that God wants to have with us. Approach worship like that, and many find that they can pass their burdens over to God and receive a deep assurance of his love for them. And fourth, let's look for everything that we do in services to be part of making our lives into acts of worship towards God. That, as I said earlier, is the whole point of worship in church. It's why it's called a service. It's intended to renew and equip us to go out and serve God in the world. Let's remember that warning from Amos about how God sees worship when it's not accompanied by justice, particularly in the light of recent events surrounding racism. At the end of this service today, we're going to end with words that express this desire for our worship of God to be transforming. And when that point comes, let's express those words from the heart. And as we worship God in our flawed and imperfect ways, getting it wrong as often as we get it right, Let's remember that our worship is part of that being offered to God throughout the world and it's also joined with that perfect worship being given within the heavenly throne room of God himself. It's a gift from God given to build up our relationship with him as he continues to transform us into the people that he made us to be.